another episode of independent thought my name is desmond price if this is your first time listening to the podcast welcome to independent thought if you are a subscriber thank you for being subscribed welcome back so first i wanted to address the fact that the podcast took a break last week for those of you who follow me on instagram you will know that i was a little under the weather for like a week and a half um in a time of covid it feels weird to be that wiped out by just like a regular cold, but nevertheless, a regular cold knocked me out for more than a week. And I'm still kind of feeling a little bit. So that's fun, but I haven't been that sick in a while. So I'm trying just to just say that I, I guess I was due. But let's talk about something that I wanted to talk about a week ago. We're a little more removed from it now, but it's still very relevant. So let's just get right into it. Gun reform in America a topic that everyone has heard enough about and wants to hear no more about. And yet that's exactly what this episode is about. Let's establish two things right off the bat. One of them is we are all tired of talking about guns. We're all tired of it. If you're very, if you're the most pro second amendment person in the world, you're tired of talking about it. If you think every gun should be abolished, getting, you know, gotten rid of out of the country, you're also tired of talking about it. We're all tired. So let's just get that out of the way. Like we all acknowledge that it's a thing. We're still doing it anyway. Uh, And also, this might be the more depressing part here. Uh, What we're about to talk about is not going to solve gun violence in America. What will solve gun violence? We will definitely get to that a little bit later. Uh, So let's just clear this up really quickly. If we're not talking about solving the problem, you know, what is the point of having this conversation? I promise I will address that later as well. So first of all, for those who did not hear me speak on the specifics of what happened in Uvalde, there is a bonus episode that is that I put out last week. I gave some brief thoughts on how I felt about what happened and the police response. Uh, Definitely feel free to go check that out if you have not already. But obviously, what happened in Uvalde and then prior to that, what happened in Buffalo, there's since been mass shootings in Tulsa and in Philadelphia, and I'm sure in other parts of the country that I have not heard of, because let's be fair, we have mass shootings all the time in America. It has re-sparked the debate in this country around gun violence. And, and let's be fair, it, it feels as though every few weeks we are talking about something new. I mean, is it does it actually like like set in yet that we're only a month removed from talking about the Supreme Court's leaked draft decision? And then what, what were we talking about back in April? And then also talking about like the war in Ukraine back in March. Like this is, we are a country that jumps from major topic to major topic. And, and it feels kind of mind numbing to keep up with it sometimes. But at the same time, these are all important discussions to be had. And some of them have 
transpired over the course of years because we can't seem to get real traction on any of these issues, particularly with guns. So before we get into some examples of what might actually help, let's first address the things that we know definitely will not help. And what are some of those things? Well, don't worry, I have a clip here for you. And I would say they're the greatest hits from Fox News over the last week or week plus about all the all of the things that definitely are not going to help gun violence in America, particularly in our schools. Here's that clip. One of the things that, that, that everyone agreed is don't have all of these unlocked back doors. Have one door into and out of the school. The only solution is Christ Jesus and being able to get some type of spirituality and prayer back into our schools. Man traps, a series of interlocking doors at the school entrance that are triggered by a tripwire. I would like to see this a national push toward instead of parents buying their kids all these tools and toys and games, invest in the classroom to make it safer. I mean, they have blankets that you can put up on the wall that are colorful and beautiful, but they're ballistic blankets. So really small recap here, uh, ballistic blankets, man traps, like, like booby traps in a school. Uh-huh. And, um, my favorite prayer, prayer, prayer in schools. Yes. Because if the children are praying in the school, that will somehow repel the shooters from coming into the schools. Um, yes. Also my favorite part about conversations about putting prayer back into the schools are uh they're also are paralleled with the idea that we can't have gun control because the constitution provides guns as a right to every american and we somehow skip the idea that also in the constitution they very distinctly talk about a separation of church and state yet we're willing to skirt over that when we want to, but we can't skirt over any kind of restrictions on, on gun, on gun rights. It, yep. It, it all makes sense. It all, there's, there's no hypocrisy in the slightest. Uh, let's, let's skip past all of that and talk about some uh, solutions that might actually have a tangible effect. So first thing I want to talk about is red flag laws. If you're not familiar, if you are familiar with red flag laws, some of this will be a little bit of a refresher for you, but if you're not familiar with them, they're also known as extreme protection orders. These laws allow family members or police to request that a court can temporarily take away someone's firearms if that person is believed to be a danger to themselves or others. Now, as of last year, 19 states currently have red flag laws. Those states are Washington, Oregon, California, Nevada, Colorado, New Mexico, Illinois, Indiana, Indiana, that surprised me, Florida, Hawaii, Maryland, Delaware, New Jersey, New York, Vermont, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island, and Virginia. So let's dive into a second here exactly how red flag laws work before we get into more about the implementation of them and whether or not they're a good idea. Here's a clip. Step one, if a family member or the police think someone might be a danger to themselves or others, they can sign an affidavit explaining why they think that person's guns should be taken away. 
Step two, the court can then grant a temporary removal of guns, usually ranging from two to 45 days, depending on the state. For the shorter term removal, the person in question doesn't usually get a chance to defend him or herself before the judge makes a decision. This is known as an ex parte proceeding, which is typical in cases of domestic violence and temporary restraining orders. And when it comes to the temporary removal of guns, there's usually a lower standard of evidence to prove if that person is dangerous. The thinking is, you wanna remove the threat as quickly as possible to minimize damage. And then, step three. Once the guns are removed, there's a hearing that is held in front of a judge to determine if the guns can be given back or if they should be held for longer, usually up to a year. It's typically at this hearing that the person can tell their side of the story. And the level of evidence or proof needed to keep the guns away is usually higher at this hearing compared to when the judge makes the first shorter term decision. According to the American Psychiatric Association, after the state of Indiana enacted their red flag law, there was a 7.5% decrease in suicide by firearms. And also in the state of Connecticut, there was a 13.7% decrease. As of right now, the only state that has an anti-red flag law would be the state of Oklahoma. So shout out to all you Oklahoman listeners out there. I know there's at least a couple of you uh, because you are living in the only state which disallows any local government from enacting a red flag law after the state passed this anti-red flag law back in May of 2020. So thankfully, though, this is not the case in every red state, as we said already, states like Indiana and Florida have in fact passed no, uh, have in fact passed red flag laws. And the current Republican governors of the states of Arizona and Ohio have both asked their state legislatures to bring red flag laws to their desks to be signed into law. But currently, those red flag laws are sitting in a limbo, and it's not really sure whether or not they will advance or not in those state legislatures. But if you were wondering if there is real bipartisan support on something like a red flag law, look no further than our former president, Donald Trump, back in 2019, after the shootings of, after the shootings in Dayton and El Paso, did go on the record and publicly say that he would like to see states implement red flag laws across the board. Although I will also note after the fact that he was then, he then pulled back after apparently people within his administration and the gun lobby approached him and said that they thought it would be a detriment to his 2020 campaign. So red flag laws seem to be in particular something that can lower deaths around the margins. And they would also be something that would keep firearms out of the hands of certain people who would probably be more likely to commit violent acts than others which is essentially the whole goal of having these in place in the first place. But there are other measures out there that would have a similar effect that red flag laws seem to have. And we're going to talk about those after we come back from our break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey, Indie Thought listeners. 
Has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode. Bathing Beauties Beads is a full-service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order. Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage-inspired clothing, shoes, and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf, and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the look. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at bettysdivine.com. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us through this episode of Independent Thought. So let's talk about some other measures. First of all, there is something that is seems to be gaining some popularity right now um, in certain states and just in the national discourse, which is raising the age to buy semi-automatic weapons from 18, where it currently is, to 21. Now, this, I, I think, is also was scored in a recent speech that President Biden gave, where he was talking about the the craziness that it is that right now in the state of Texas, you have to be 21 in order to buy a handgun, but you can buy a semi-automatic weapon at 18. Now, the reason that this is actually in place is not because Texas has some unique law where they're like, ah, oh, handguns, 21, obviously. In fact, that is from a federal law that makes it so that you have to be 21 to buy a handgun in any state, to which I just got to I got to say to kind of like pause the episode a little bit here for a second. If the federal government was able to institute some kind of law like that nationwide, why would they do it for handguns and and not for semi-automatic weapons in the first place? But I I couldn't find the answer to that question. Maybe it's out there. Um, Maybe someone can Google that for me and find out what I couldn't, but that, that was kind of wild to me. Uh, As of right now, six states have already done this, though. So the states of Florida, Washington, Vermont, California, Illinois, and Hawaii have already raised the age up from 18 to 21 in order to buy semi-automatic weapons. Now, I will note that uh, a couple of these states have already had some court challenges. Florida did in particular. It seems as though that that one was in fact, I think that one's still pending. 
And I think California's uh, was challenged as well. And I think that one has been upheld. I'll have to double check those two. I, no, I'll have to double check those two. But I know that those were the states. Uh, anyway, not so much the point. The, these are currently being debated as well in New York and Utah as of this past like week. The state legislatures of both of those states are proposing, I think, in fact, New York has already passed it through their house, their state house. So this is something that's also being talked about on a national level. President Biden said that he would like to see semi-automatic weapons, in fact, be banned. But if they could not be banned, that we should at least raise the age from 18 to 21. Now, this is also in direct response to the fact of, of two things. One, we think about like the Parkland shooter. And the shooter in Uvalde, these were both people who were under the age of 21, and they both, in, the, in both cases, used AR-15s. In fact, almost every single mass shooting has been, that we have heard of in the last like decade, is been committed with a semi-automatic weapon. So obviously, there's a direct cause and effect or the reason why those types of guns are being targeted and why they're trying to raise the age up because most of these people are in fact younger men who are doing these things. There was a assault weapons ban back in the year of 1994 that went on for 10 years, 1994 to 2004. When it was banned in 1994, there was a 43% drop in mass shootings over the course of that decade. Now, I've spent a lot of time, unfortunately, on Twitter within the last couple of weeks hearing people give all of their anti any kind of gun control uh, converse, well, takes on, on basically any kind of uh, gun control uh, measure that's been, that's been put out there. And when people would talk about an assault weapons ban, they're like, oh, well, we've tried that before. And, and you saw that Columbine still happened in 1999. And, and, and again, and we're going to come back to this again, but this really, these measures are not about stopping all gun violence. You're not going to stop all gun violence. That's, that's not the aim of what's trying to be accomplished here. It's, it's about reduction because every single life that we can save, we should be trying to save. Or I, I don't even understand how that should be a foreign concept to anybody but we will definitely come back to that. In 2004, after the ban was lifted, the number of mass shootings, in fact, did triple. So assault weapons ban definitely seems like something that we've done before as a nation. Maybe we should look at that again. Obviously, there's statistical evidence that shows that it did, in fact, have a positive impact. Now, also something that happens that people talk about relentlessly is universal background checks. If you are not aware of what a universal background check does, basically, I'm, I, you probably understand the gist of it. You're checking someone's background to make sure that they are, are somebody who should be able to own a gun. Typically, when they go through these background checks, they look at your criminal record, if you have one, uh, if you have any restraining orders, if you have any histories of addictions, or serious mental illness, mental illnesses that resulted in a hospitalization. So there are some problems with background checks, though. 
And uh, Vox did a decent piece on this a couple of years ago. I'm going to play that clip for you right now where they talk about some of the issues with the background check system. Here's that clip. I've done a lot of reporting on this. We have just seen time and time again that background checks do not stop people who we don't want having guns from actually getting the weapons. There are a couple problems with the background check system. One is that the FBI database is about as outdated as its logo. It's missing millions of records. That's why the Charleston church shooter was able to buy a gun, despite having a record. Or why the man who killed 26 Texan churchgoers was also able to pass a background check after the Air Force failed to send his domestic abuse convictions to the FBI. So even with a background check for every type of sale, there's still a chance this guy gets a gun. That's partly why study after study has found that while background checks prevent or make substantially more difficult the criminal acquisition of firearms, making them universal doesn't have any effect on the actual gun crisis in America, gun deaths. A Johns Hopkins study of California where comprehensive background checks were implemented in 1991 found that the law was not associated with changes in firearm suicide or homicide, thanks in part to those incomplete and missing records. So addressing just background checks, and, and Vox goes into more details about this. I'll have that link in the episode description for those who want to check out that full video. Just addressing, just implementing background checks is not going to be enough if the system that they are, that's actually performing the background check is incomplete. So this is something that will have to be bolstered on the federal level by the FBI and by other agencies who would, who the FBI would connect with in order to obtain records in order for this to actually work effectively, uh, which currently it is not. One of the things that they go on to propose in that video after that is that they say that one of the things that can be done in order to kind of counteract the, the, the inadequacy of our current background check system is developing what is a licensing program. Now, currently there are 12 states who have these licensing programs in America. And basically the idea of them is that if you wanna obtain a firearm, you have to go through and do a safety course, which I, I gotta say, most gun owners that I know have no real problem with this because the, the idea that it should have somehow to be, it's too much to ask that someone who's buying a gun know how to safely and properly know how to operate a gun is kind of laughable. You, you would hope that anyone who has a dangerous weapon know how to operate it correctly. So why not just mandate that? We do that for driver's licenses. Why not just do that? So on top of taking the safety course, you also have to file with your local police department who will then check the police databases of every place where you've ever lived and just make sure that there aren't any outstanding just uh, things about you that maybe the federal background uh, system as it's currently, currently operating, which is just, again, not operating well, but that that background check might in fact miss. Now, the process takes about three weeks, and from how it's been implemented in certain states where it's already enforced, like Massachusetts, for instance, there's a 97% of people who take these will pass. And so for the people who are afraid that measures like this will, in fact, inhibit law-abiding citizens from being able to have their guns, the answer is no. But it, what it will do is keep guns out of the hands of the people who are most likely, again, 
to do violent things when they have a firearm. So the purpose of the gun licensing system is to weed out those who might be dangerous and, you know, like with a weapon and to curb the impulsive gun purchases that might lead to a mass shooting or might lead to someone, well, killing themselves with a firearm. Since 2007, this was the year that Missouri got rid of their licensing system. They've seen almost a doubling in gun deaths in their state. So again, when we talk about licensing programs, universal background checks, assault weapons bans, raising the age from 18 to 21 for semi-automatic weapons, red flag laws, there are things in place that we can do to not stop all gun violence, but to trim it on the margins. Because again, saving any amount of lives is something that we should do. And what exactly is the trade-off? A little bit of inconvenience and a little bit of a process in order to make sure that certain people are weeded out. Now, I know what some of the pushbacks are about this, and we're going to get to that after our final break, but I, I just have to say before we go into this final break here, this idea that there should be no restrictions on the Second Amendment is unsustainable. It, it, it truly is. As the founders may have, may have proclaimed this into existence back in the 1700s, the country has changed dramatically since then. And there should be limits on who is able to obtain a gun and one type of gun they're able to attain. I recently saw a retired major general of the army basically explain in precise detail on Twitter how an AR-15 is just not that different from the M4s that they're currently using in the, in the military at large. And just to me, the idea that everyday human beings in, in this country need to have the same weapons that we give to soldiers who go into battlefields, I, I just, I personally don't understand it. And I, I'm willing to have that conversation with people, but we're going to take one final break. And when we come back, I'm going to have my final thoughts for the day on this subject, as well as my wrap up to why this conversation is so important right now. We'll be right back. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us through this episode of Independent Thought. So let me just talk about really quickly something that I hear all the time when it comes to people talking about their, their hesitancy to any gun laws being, being implemented. Uh, one of the first things that I hear is, you know, like, oh, well, you know, if, if gun laws were really working, then why do places like Chicago have such high gun violence? So I, I got to say that's, it's a, it's a little frustrating even hearing that in the first place, because one, it, it also typically comes from people who will, you know, also tell you that they have suspicions of the mainstream media 
and how news is sent out to them, but can't seem to also use that same logic to think to themselves, maybe you're seeing things that aren't exactly true, but are sensationalist and sell. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe let, let's just let's just talk about the, the numbers here for, for a second. You would think that the way that people talk about the city of Chicago, for instance, that Illinois would be a state that has one of the highest gun deaths per capita in America. Let's talk about the 10 states that have the highest rates of gun deaths in our country. They are Tennessee, South Carolina, Arkansas, New Mexico, Alaska, Alabama, Missouri, Wyoming, Louisiana, and Mississippi. The 10 states with the least gun deaths per capita in our country, Nebraska, Minnesota, California, Connecticut, New York, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, New Jersey, Massachusetts, and Hawaii. And if you're noticing a a correlation here, you're on the right track because the 10 states that have the highest gun deaths per capita, nine of those 10 states are red states. And for the 10 that have the least, nine of those 10 are blue states. And if you go out even further to like the top 15, like most and least, the next five for most, 11 through 15, are also all red states. And 11 through 15 for least, four of those five are blue states. Not just with the red and blue comparisons, but let me just say this a little bit differently. All the states that have the highest rates of gun deaths per capita are the states with the most laxed gun laws in America. And the states that have the least amount of gun deaths in America are all the states that have the strictest gun laws in America. There is, in fact, no evidence to the contrary in the sense that like these strict laws aren't actually stopping gun violence. In fact, there is plenty of evidence that there is. The states that have the most gun laws do in fact have the least amount of deaths per capita. And so the idea that implementing gun reform is not going to lead to less deaths from firearms is just simply not true. It's not true. And I'm sorry, it just, it really isn't. And so when we have these conversations about what we should do, the obviousness of the situation is we have to put in more gun control reforms into our country. Now, we should have a conversation about what they look like, how they should be implemented, to what extent they go to, so on and so forth. I I get it. You know, we live in a country where we are never going to essentially get rid of all gun violence because we're not getting rid of all of our guns. I, I get that. There is no real appetite to repeal the Second Amendment in this country. In fact, every time that a poll has been done about it over the last like seven, eight years, the, it, it ranges between 19 to 25% as far as people's appetites for wanting to get rid of guns. Guns are popular. This isn't a partisan thing. 
People who are Democrats like guns, people who are Republicans like guns, there are responsible gun owners everywhere in this country. I get it. People use it for recreation. People use it for hunting. People use it for self-protection, especially in certain parts of this country that are a little more dangerous. I understand it. People feel more safe. And some people feel as though the police can't protect them, so they have to protect themselves. I understand it. However, we should be trying to do something on the margins. It's the responsible thing to do. Uh, in, in, a, in a time where we know for a fact that we're not going to get rid of gun violence, we should be trying to do what we can in order to trim some of the margins. Because the fact of the matter is, is that gun reforms do lead to less gun violence. They do lead to less gun deaths. There is plenty of statistics to prove that. We've gone over some of them. And I know that there are just so many people who typically are on the rights, you know, they have a lack of trust in the government. And they believe that any move towards any gun reform is this slippery slope that, you know, just will lead into inevitably repealing the Second Amendment. Let me tell you how much that's just not going to happen. Repealing anything in the Constitution would require three quarters of the U.S. Senate in order to vote yes on said thing. Oh, I'm sorry, two thirds of the U.S. Senate to vote yes on that thing after it goes through the House. Then the president would have to sign it. And then 38 states would have to ratify it through their state legislatures and have their governors sign off on it just to ratify anything or repeal anything in the U.S. Constitution. The unlikely, and this is also, again, for a separate conversation, this is also the reason why abolishing the Electoral College isn't going to happen, if we're just going to keep it real for a second. But the process to undoing anything in our Constitution is so vast that the fact that people are actually scared if the Second Amendment would ever be repealed is literally beyond me. It's beyond me. Like, you must not know what it takes to repeal anything in our constitution to have that be a legitimate fear but also the idea that you can't have any restrictions or else it leads to everything being taken away that, that's also that's madness it, it, it really is Let, let's just have the conversation for what it is again gun reforms do lead to less gun deaths and as a really prominent voice on the right has always said it has this tweet pinned to the top of their page and has so since 2016. Facts really don't care about your feelings. And the fact of the matter is, is that we can prove that these measures will in fact lead to people's lives being saved. And that ultimately, you know, is the question that this all comes down to is what is more important? Is it unlimited freedoms with your ability to access weapons, guns, or is it reducing harm to our shared community, this country? This question isn't really unique just to guns. It's also a question that we ask ourselves when we talk about climate change. It's a question we ask ourselves when we talk about the pandemic. You know, these are obviously three different conversations which have extremely different variables attached to them, but they're all really the same ultimate question. Is are, pe are people willing to risk are, are people willing to compromise on some individual freedoms for the collective good? 
yes or no. And, and so when we are talking about children, for instance, when it comes to these mass shootings in schools, if we're not willing to take at least some restrictions when it comes to protecting children, I, what, like, what, what is it going to take? I, I mean, seriously, for some people, I know there's plenty of people who are already there. They're already ready for gun reform. But for the people who aren't, like, what is it going to take in order for you to budge an inch? It, it's not like people are asking you to repeal the Second Amendment. We're talking about background checks red flag laws. I mean, these are things that will never, that would never hinder a law abiding citizen that they wouldn't. And so the fact that you're fighting on behalf of basically the people who shouldn't be able to have firearms continuing to have them. And that's more important than potentially keeping these weapons out of their hands in order to have people be more safe in schools like children and teachers I just don't, I don't understand the rationale there. I really don't. I don't understand how that could be more important than the other. Gun violence will always be a problem in America. That is not going to change. The only way that you stop gun violence in America is to take the guns out of America. And as we just mentioned, that is not going to happen. I think everyone knows that. This is not about trying to find the catch-all that's going to stop every mass shooting in this country because unfortunately that is going to be a part of our society forever probably forever however if we give an honest effort we could probably sharply reduce the number of times that we have to continue to talk about this in the future and my god isn't that worth it I mean, I mean, seriously, isn't that worth it? And for those who worry about the slippery slope phenomenon, are you really, are you really going to sit here and say that if you allow one thing to happen, that you're just like in the future, if someone were to try to repeal the Second Amendment, that you would just stay silent at that moment? I, I think we can all know when to pick our battles, right? So it, it just, it's this is something that's really beyond me, but beyond the the fear mongering that is oh the slippery slope phenomenon i also can't get over the fact that whenever these conversations come up you know like we talked about earlier like people who were on the right talking about you know ballistic blankets and having prayer in school and booby traps you know the thing that also gets brought up a lot relentlessly and i talked about this briefly on on instagram is the talking point of mental health and now I know that people would say like, oh, well, obviously the people who do these things are mentally ill. So we should talk about mental health to which I will reply. Yeah, mental health is a really big deal. And obviously anyone who commits mass murder does in fact have a mental health issue. You're not wrong. However, I don't want to cloak this problem in the gate, you know, like in the in the idea that is just all about mental health. So let's talk about these things separately. Yes, those people who did these crimes, who committed these heinous acts, yes, they were probably dealing with severe mental illnesses. And to which, you know, like I will say, let's just entertain this thought for a second. Let's say that the issue is only mental health. I don't believe that, but let's just say that it is. And Republican lawmakers are always relentlessly talking about this fact. Okay, 
So if it is about mental health and only mental health, then why hasn't the GOP done anything to address mental health? I mean, anything. I mean, in fact, just a month and a half ago, the governor of Texas was slashing $200 million of state funding of mental health in the state of Texas. Not only are they not putting funding into mental health care, in the particular case of Texas, they're taking it out of mental health care. So it just, it's such a hypocritical BS to me. Here's the thing. If it really was something that they really prioritized and that they really cared about, again, I'm referencing Republican lawmakers right now, we would see action on it. Because when they really want something, we see action on it. They wanted to make sure that quote unquote, women's sports were protected in schools. They passed hundreds of anti-trans bills across the country within the last year, hundreds of them. If they wanna make sure that people aren't feeling uncomfortable learning about American history, they'll pass hundreds of anti-woke bills or anti-CRT bills. They'll make sure that that gets done. If they wanna make sure that they address the couple pieces of voter fraud that they found, which they'll say is, is widespread and rampant, they will make sure to pass voting, voting reform bills all over the country. They will make sure that that in fact does get done. And of course, if they, you know, like want to make sure that abortions stop happening, which they won't, we know that banning abortion only bans safe abortions, but that's besides the point. They will, in fact, pass abortion bans all over the country. So let's just be very clear about what I'm talking about here. When the GOP wants to, in fact, address an issue at the state level, at the federal level, they do it. They do it. They don't wait around and talk about it. They do it. And so have you seen them address the mental health crisis in America? There is a mental health crisis. That is very much the case. I mean, even if you're not looking at specifically what's going on right now, you're talking about massive inflation. If you're talking about people living through a pandemic, just look before that, before 2020. We were a country that was living in a time where almost the half of the country couldn't even afford a $400 expense. And this is all on the backdrop of people feeling scared about their homes and not knowing if they're gonna have a place to live because the price of living everywhere is going up. Wages are stagnant all over this country. There are people who are afraid of being around the police because people keep getting shot for having a different skin color. There are women who don't feel comfortable being in public at night. There are people who are still reeling from the last economic crash that we had. Like there are people who are genuinely trying to do their best to make it through the day in this current climate. You know, the politicians have to talk about how many jobs are being created right now in our economy, which is probably a fair thing to note because most people need two or three jobs just to be able to afford to survive in this current fucking country. And so, yes, mental health is definitely an issue. But again, I'm not seeing any movement on that in any way, shape, or form. And so to kind of round this all off, GOP claims that this is a mental health issue. I don't see any action on that. They don't actually care about this the way that they say they do. It's just an excuse. 
And it, let's be fair, going all the way back, this was never just about mental health. If it was just about mental health, then why isn't this happening all over the world right now where mental health rightly is an issue basically in every country? Let's just keep it real for a second. Mental health distress is not a unique American phenomenon, but we do have a unique mass shooter phenomenon. The thing that needs to happen next as we close out this episode, the one thing that I absolutely will not stand for is if these politicians just decide that they're just going to wait for the next big news item to pop up and then just basically put this on the back burner again until another mass shooting happens, because that's what it seems like is going to happen. Every time that the news cycle changes, it just, it just creates a built-in excuse for these people not to do anything and for the rest of us to live with those consequences of them not doing anything. And we got to let, stop letting them off the hook for that. We have to. I spent a lot of time talking about the Republicans in this episode. The Democrats have plenty of blame on their hands as well. If the Republicans in the Senate, for instance, do not want to move an inch on any of these common sense gun reforms that we've talked about, then the Democrats need to abolish the goddamn filibuster and pass things themselves. There is no reason to continue to let the whole 60 vote threshold be an excuse. If we are going to keep that stupid rule in place, you have to tell me why that rule is more important than saving people's lives. And then come back and ask me for my votes every couple of years and asking me for my donations and my good faith that you somehow actually care about the issues when you can't seem to be bothered to do the most basic things in the world in order to enact the laws that you claim we desperately need. I want to thank all the subscribers who come back and listen to Independent Thought each and every week. Thank you so much for being here each and every time that I put out an episode. If you liked this episode, please share it on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. If you are interested in supporting what we do here, uh, there's a link in the episode description for my Patreon. I would greatly appreciate it for those of you who can subscribe on Patreon to in fact do so. It goes a long way into helping what we're gonna be doing here in the future. And also be on the lookout for more episodes this week. We will have a new guest segment coming up in a couple of days, as well as a news of the week at the end of the week. Tell me what you thought of this episode. Send me a DM, uh, Instagram, Twitter, the best ways to reach out to me. Let me know what you thought of my takes, things you agreed with, things you didn't, uh, things you disagreed with. If I got something wrong, I want to hear about it. If you think I got something right, you know, that that's nice to hear too. So send me that as well. Thank you to everyone who checked out this episode. We will see you in the next one. Take care. Thank you.